Let's go to the Lord this morning as we continue uh, moving through the book of Luke. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that um, just that we can come together, just thinking on the way here this morning, just what a blessing it is to, to live in an environment, to live in a country where we can freely worship. And so, Lord, we are, we are just grateful today to be able to come together and to, uh, to just seek you together, Lord. And um, Lord, I just pray this morning that whether uh, uh, it's someone here, whether it's those of us who are in person or those who may be not able to be here this morning but are just watching from home and listening, Lord, that um, you would touch our hearts this morning, that your spirit would have your way in our lives. Lord, we pray, God, that we would humble ourselves before you this morning, knowing that your ways are best and that your uh, that, that Jesus the Savior transforms and changes lives. And Lord, uh, we just pray that you would continue to, uh, to make us into the image of Jesus Christ in, in our character, how we live our lives. We want to live our lives in a way that brings you glory. Lord, we also want to take time as a church family just to offer up our prayers for those who are sick right now, who are battling disease, Lord, we pray that you would, um, by your grace and your mercy, touch them. Lord, that you would heal them. You would deliver them from these illnesses, these sicknesses, whether they be physical, whether they be mental. Lord, and we pray that for those who are spiritually struggling right now, uh, that their walk with you, maybe they're far from you, maybe they've, they're lost sheep, Lord, we just pray that uh, for those folks that have wandered away, but who are still yours, Lord, that you would bring them back um, like the prodigal son, Lord. And we just, um, we pray, God, that you would do that. And Lord, thank you that nothing is too difficult for you. And we lift up all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you've not been with us uh, recently, um, we've been going kind of verse by verse through the, the gospel of Luke. And we are in Luke chapter 8, verse 40 to, 40 to 56 today. Uh, it's just a, a fascinating passage. There are two miracles intertwined. I think it's the only place where uh, I can think of in the Gospels where uh, one uh, miracle to be is put on pause while another one occurs. And, and uh, if there was any doubt in your mind that God can multitask, let those uh, doubts be put to rest. Uh, Jesus uh, is aware of everything that's going on at all times, and uh, he is uh, in charge. And so uh, if you're able to this morning, uh, why don't you stand? This is our habit of standing for the reading of the Word of God. So, uh, so we'll start in verse 40. I'll read this aloud. It says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, 
Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep. For she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Do not fear, only believe. Um, This is really, these two miracles are really stories of faith. Stories of faith. uh, Faith in an all-powerful God. And faith in Jesus, who is God incarnate. Um, What I'm going to do this morning is, first I'm just going to kind of lay out for you kind of the outline of the passage very quickly. Um, and by the way, if you take notes or want notes, we have some printed notes back there by the by the bulletin board. Also, you can go to UVersion uh, and uh, and see those on UVersion on the event that we have there. So, um, but here, just very quickly. So, in the first part, we have as we read, right? Jairus is desperate for help, and he begs Jesus for help. And that's um, that's verses uh, forty to forty-two. And then we have. Uh, a desperate woman reaches out to touch Jesus, right? Um, of course, this is as Jesus and Jairus are going on the way to Jairus' house, right? That's verses 43 to 48. And then lastly, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead there in verses 49 to 56. And as I was praying over this passage, I was like, you know, I really felt like uh, there were, there were probably four things that struck me about Jesus and uh, how he's uh, he's interfacing with the lives of these people. And I just want to hit on these four things. And the first thing is that Jesus is polarizing. Now, you, you may have missed it, I don't know, but did you see the verse 40 says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Now, if you were here last time, the passage that goes right before this, they told Jesus to leave on the other side of the lake. They were just on the other side of the lake. Those people said, leave us, Jesus, leave us. And then he, gets, he returns back to Capernaum, where it was kind of a base for his ministry here. Uh, he, he's welcomed. I mean, what a contrast. What a contrast. One group of people... Get out of here, Jesus. The other group of people, come on in. Welcome back. 
And uh, it just reminded me of just how polarizing Jesus is. He's very polarizing. You know, um, in Luke chapter 10, verse 16, uh, and this is where Jesus is is going to be sending out some people to do ministry, to tell them about the good news. And here's what Jesus tells the people that would go out in his name. In Luke 10, 16, it says, The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Now, did you get that? Like, if somebody rejects you uh, because of your faith, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. And he's saying if they reject Jesus, they're actually rejecting God. Because Jesus is God come in the flesh. So, but it, but it, should, uh, it should remind us that, you know, you're just not going to, not everybody is going to like you. Okay? Because if you're going to be a bearer of the good news of Jesus, you also uh, have to be the bearer of the bad news, don't you? Right, because the good news is that Jesus came to save us from our sins. The bad news is we are sinners in need of a Savior, and without Him, we're destined for hell. Okay, that's you know. So you've got to understand and embrace the bad news because you before you can really know that you need the good news, right? And when you say when you tell people this message, um, some people will simply not just reject it, but will write out oppose it, okay? Um, So, but don't let people tell you that you're not loving them when you're telling them the truth, okay? Yes, you can say it in a loving way, the message of the gospel, but unfortunately, we're we're definitely in in an environment now culturally where if you tell someone they're wrong, you are telling them that you hate them. But that's, even though you know that's not the case, right? You can disagree with somebody, you can tell them they're wrong and still love them. And, and certainly that's the way we should be. We should be loving uh, people, right, regardless. But that does not mean that we will back down from the truth of the gospel, from the truth of God's word, Um. And I've just been thinking a lot about this. You know, we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We need to be praying uh, for people um, that that need the Lord. And everyone needs the Lord, but, you know, people that don't know the Lord, uh, they they need God's intervention. They need God's intervention. Um, And before we move on, uh, I just want to say something about... um, those who may be um, struggling with, uh, you know, we're, we're in the midst of a sexual revolution right now. And, um, and the, some people may uh, be struggling with same-sex attraction. I mean, that didn't, that didn't begin with this sexual revolution, okay? People have been uh, same-sex attracted, I'm sure, since sin entered the world, okay? Um, just like heterosexual sin, right? Um, the fact is that we we have a sin problem, okay? And um, but the reason I'm mentioning this is because I feel like a lot of people 
um, in our world today, and possibly here in the church, um, are just feeling like, um, uh, you know, that it, it's just, uh, I, I feel like I'm in a hopeless situation, they might say, because, you know, I, I have these feelings, uh, and I don't know what to do with them, and uh, and so some people go the way of just saying, well, I'm just going to give up, you know, there's no sense fighting that, um, and others, though, um, have... Uh, who have a relationship with Christ may still battle those same feelings, but yet trust him and fight the battles against sin. Um, And again, the reason I'm mentioning this is because this is something that is just so pervasive, okay? Um, And and as I was just thinking about the, um, uh, just this uh, polarizing effect that Jesus had on people, Okay, we we cannot we cannot if we love people we must tell them the truth, and the truth is we all need a savior. The truth is we're all sinners. Okay, and um, um, I I also uh, feel like there's some bait and switch going on in churches today. They won't even talk to people about homosexuality or whatever sexual sin it might be. Uh, and they never mention it at any other time, and then somebody wants to become a member or wants to get baptized, and they'll say, oh, well, you know, your lifestyle is not lining up with a person that um, is uh, in alignment with Jesus. And so churches end up kind of um, become affirming without not maybe intending to be affirming. And so um, I'm... you. Don't misunderstand me. I'm I'm not using. Uh, actually, I wasn't even planning on talking about this, and I, and this happens to be like Pride Weekend in Columbus. Okay, um, but but I but I want people to know that uh, there are many believers who struggle with same-sex attraction, who are walking vibrant lives with Christ. Okay. Uh, I'm going to mention some to you, and I would encourage you to read some of their materials, watch some of their YouTube videos, because they understand what it's like to fight those battles, okay? Sam Albury. Sam Albury is a pastor uh, in the UK, and he uh, he uh, struggles still with same-sex attraction, but is faithful to Christ, okay? Rosaria Butterfield is another one many of you probably heard of. Interestingly, she recently uh, she wrote an article. I'm not going to comment on the article. I'm just going to tell you what it is. It's basically an article about how she repented of using people's preferred pronouns. Okay? She's a former lesbian. Okay, And then uh, uh, Christopher Ewan is his name, a former gay drug dealer. Okay, uh, Just... Fascinating testimony. Uh, and so all of these people would tell you, and I've heard them say in different venues, listen, um, love people, but don't affirm sin. Christopher Ewan is like, if my parents went ahead and accepted my gay lifestyle, I would have not have respected their faith. He straight out says that. He's like, I would not have, I would not have 
Uh, I just would have like, what, what good is your faith? You, you kind of caved in on this, you know. Um, oh, um, another person. Um, I can't remember his name. Beckett. Beckett Cook. Okay. Um, Beckett Cook, uh, L.A., guy who lived in L.A. as a gay man, and he was a filmmaker. He met some Christians in a coffee shop. Those Christians just told him straight up the gospel, told him straight up, you know, you're, you're not living a life that's, that is pleasing to God. He goes to church, goes to their church, and gets saved. And uh, the rest is history. Uh, so I'm, I'm telling this to people so that they would realize, you know what? Um, as, as believers, um, you know, we have to continue to speak the truth about all things. And this just happens to be one of the things that is our thing in our day, okay? That people need to know there's freedom in Christ, okay? That you can uh, have these feelings and these uh, attractions and, and remain faithful to Christ and, and live a holy life. Uh, it's, it's not impossible just like any other sin that we battle, okay? Um, but this is polarizing, okay? That's, that's the only reason I'm bringing it up. This issue is polarizing. Um, I feel like everywhere I turn, people are trying to tell me what I can say and can't say. I don't mean as a minister. I mean as a person. Oh, we can't use this word. We can't use this language. We, can't, we need to lie to these people that they're men or that they're women. I mean, this is just not, would you, would you, I mean, would you, I mean, it's just, I just, uh, it's just messed up, okay? And that's what Satan does. He just, Satan does, he just loves to get people confused, okay? And um, we just need to pray. We need to pray that God would draw people to himself and that they would understand the truth, okay? But not everybody's going to listen. Not everybody's going to like it. But we need to continue to love, and we need to continue to you know, express our love for people. But also, we need to speak the truth. Okay? And it will be polarizing at times. So, um, now, one of the other things that comes out in this passage is uh, just that Jesus has compassion on us regardless of our social status. You could not get two more polar opposites, sticking with the polarizing theme, <laughs> of people. You've got this, um, this uh, synagogue uh, official who, you know, so he's the leader of the local synagogue there. Uh, so he's, he's definitely up in the social status. Uh, he's He's a well-respected leader in the community, um, probably pretty decently well-off financially, although that is an assumption, but given the status, I would think he would be at least, well, we know he's going to be better off than the woman, right? So this, this woman, because she said she spent all her money on doctors, right? She spent everything she had seeking a cure from uh, what most people believe is some sort of, uh, you know, vaginal bleeding, hemorrhaging. And it would not stop, and um, and so um, 
you have to understand what point in history you are when you read this. This woman, if she, if this was her issue, she would have been considered, according to Levitical law, Leviticus chapter 15, as an un, unclean, ceremonially unclean, unable to meet with the people of God in the temple because of her ceremonial uncleanness. And, and so she would have been, um, uh, in a sense, kind of a social outcast because if you were to come in contact with her, you would be considered ceremonially unclean, and you would have to separate yourself for a time according to Levitical law. So do you see how, you know, uh, for 12 years this woman uh, was suffering from this, this uh, hemorrhaging? And so no money, uh, socially sort of an outcast, and... Um, But yet Jesus has compassion on her. Jesus has compassion on her. Okay, you know, here's all the people uh, as as Jesus and Jairus begin the journey to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. Um, What is happening there is that the people are pressing around them, right? Uh, One translation says they were thronging him. You know, this is the word for just that there. It's just like, you know, it's like this. I remember years ago, and some of you men may have been with us when we went out to um, stand in the gap in uh, Washington, D.C. on the mall. It was a Promise Keepers event. Um, I have never seen so many people in my life walking like this because that's all the room you had in the train station to get on the train to get down to the Washington, D.C. mall. And so I can just imagine that, you know, everybody's touching everybody, you know, uh, just because that's the way it was. And so all these people, you know, everybody's that's around Jesus is bumping into him, is touching him. But it's not so, and by the way, I don't think it's, it's not that Jesus doesn't know who he healed. Okay, I think he has a purpose in having her uh, um, declare to everyone what happened. What she hoped to do was probably, most likely, because she, because of her issue, because she wasn't, wasn't supposed to be out and about, and definitely not touching people, and definitely not touching the, the rabbi Jesus, if you will, right, the teacher Jesus, um, the holy man. Uh, but she just knew uh, that if she just touched the hem of his garment, that that he had the power to heal her, and he obviously selectively healed her. And she is instantly healed. But we just see these individuals from different walks of life. One on the social uh, status and stratus is at the top. One is kind of probably towards the bottom, uh, and economically so for sure. Um, but this is the way that God is towards those who come to him in faith. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter who your parents were, anything like that. Um, it's just that, you know, if, if, you, if you come to Jesus by faith, um, he, he receives you. And uh, we should be encouraged by that. We don't have a God who's just like, you know, uh, he, he just wants us to come to him as we are by faith. Now, make no mistake, he doesn't want us to stay the way we are if we come to him by faith. He, he wants to transform our lives, okay? 
Uh, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, talks about the gracious uh, and compassionate God. It says, therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Blessed are all those who wait for him. So this morning, I don't know what your predicament might be. I don't know what your, what you need to, you know, something, these two people were begging Jesus to do something. You've got this guy who's a very well-respected man, and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. You know, he throws himself down at this, you know, street preacher. He's, this is a, he's humbling himself. This is not something culturally that you would have done, that, that the leader of the synagogue would do. He's desperate. He's desperate. I mean, just, we're on Father's Day today, right? right? So any dad's going to do anything he can to save his daughter. And being the leader of that synagogue, he's definitely, since Jesus had already been in that town, was a home base for his ministry, Jesus left for a time and came back. We know that. So he knows the stories. He's probably seen some of the healings. So he knows that he can come to Jesus and Jesus will help him. So first of all, you just have to know we have a God of compassion, right? Jesus is compassionate. He's, he wants everyone to come to him, right? It doesn't matter what we're caught in. You know, I mentioned one category of sin earlier, right? But we're all caught in something before we come to Christ. And some of us, you know, we just need to realize, and we're not, we're not sinless after we come to Christ, but we're, we are a people in process who are, as, as the book of Romans tells us, you know, we're trying to fight and kill sin in our lives. We're trying to grow in, in our walk with Christ. But, but make no mistake, just like for many, many years, uh, if you've ever, were ever at a Billy Graham crusade, right, George Beverly Shea and his baritone voice, you know, and all those people would sing, just come just as you are, right? Come to the cross, right, of Christ. Receive his forgiveness. So Jesus had compassion on both of these people. He has compassion on your situation, right? Whatever it is, whatever right now is, is causing you desperation. Maybe it's not a desperation for yourself. Maybe it's a desperation for one of your children. I don't know. But just know this, Jesus is aware. He is aware. He has compassion and wants to show you that compassion. Now, it's also important for us to realize, too, that in this passage, we, realize, we see that it's not the amount of faith that matters. It's the object of your faith. It's not the amount, okay, of your faith. It's the object of your faith. Well, you know, I was thinking back to 1 Kings with the prophets of Baal. They had a lot of faith when they were facing off with Elijah, okay? And they're, they're doing all what they know to do in their ritual worship of, of uh, Baal, the false god, and, 
And they're, they're at a standoff with Elijah. They had a lot of faith, but it was in a false god. Then you have Elijah there, right? His faith in a big god, in the one true god. So these individuals, Jairus and this woman, they were putting their faith in Jesus. And it didn't matter about how much faith they had, as long as it was in him, right, then uh, that's what mattered. I want to read to you just a, a quote from uh, a man, he's a blogger, a Christian blogger by the name of Tim Challies. He says this, he says, what secures us in our trials is not the magnitude of our faith, but the power of the one in whom we have placed it. The smallest bit of faith in God is worth infinitely more than the greatest bit of faith in ourselves or in the strongest measure of faith in faith itself. Faith counts for nothing unless its object is Jesus Christ. Thus, when fire burns hot, meaning like in the trial, when fire burns hot, we learn to our surprise that some may have tremendous faith in themselves but no faith in Jesus. When the flood rises high, we learn to our shock that some may have had faith in faith, but not faith in the Lord of all the universe. Yet when others pass through the flames, we learn to our joy that through their faith may have been, though their faith may have been little, greater than a mustard seed, its object was the eternal, immortal God. When the waters swell around them and it seems as if if they may go under, we learn to the satisfaction of our souls that though their faith may have been very small, it was faith in the one who is the rock. We learn with praise in our hearts that they have been held fast by the one who is the glorious object of their unwavering faith. We've got to put our faith in Jesus whether it's for salvation or whether it's for anything else, our faith must be in the one true God. You know, so Jairus had most likely seen Jesus do those miracles in Capernaum before, like I mentioned. He knew, he knew that Jesus could help his daughter. This woman knew that if she could reach out to Jesus, he could heal her. And, and you know what we see from these miracles here? And we've been going through, and sometimes it's hard to remember when we're just kind of, when you're kind of looking at week by week. But we've, there's been, we've been going through a series of miracles. Have you seen this? Where, where we see that Jesus controls everything. The natural realm, the supernatural realm. realm because we saw that man delivered from the demons. We, we saw him... Uh, calm the storm with a word. And now we see him, and he has power over disease and sickness and power over death itself. We see from these miracles that nothing, no situation is beyond God's reach. For nothing is impossible with God. 
we forget that sometimes, I think. I mean, I do. I mean, I just be honest with you. I mean, sometimes I get so focused on what I'm doing and what I can do, and we need to do what we can do. I mean, there's, it doesn't mean that God, we leave it all up to God. I understand that. But at the end of the day, these people were in circumstances that were, there's nothing they could do. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. She tried all the doctors. His daughter was dying. But somehow they just knew that this man was in the impossible business. Remember what um, the angel told Mary when he told her that she's going to have a baby and she hadn't had sex and, you know, she had sex ed. She knew that was not possible. Okay? But what did the angel say? For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing, nothing is too difficult for you. I love that verse. Nothing. And then Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? The answer is no. Rhetorical question, right? No, nothing. Nothing. And so I just find this passage just reminds us nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. And it reminds me that I need to not give up hope. I can't make, I can't strong arm God. I can't make a certain outcome happen. That's not what I'm suggesting. But what I am saying is, God can't do anything. (laughs) He can change our hearts. If they're not changing, He can change other people's hearts. He can turn people back. He can do anything. He can heal people's bodies. He can, you know, it's not, nothing is impossible with Him. So, if we learn nothing from this passage today, we need to remember that because these are two very impossible, humanly impossible situations. So, so be encouraged, saints, that the Lord, the Lord we serve, the God we know through Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in Him, He is, He does mission impossible all the time. And He's able. Is able, and so, uh, which you know, this next last point here, um, you know, that the Lord is sovereign over all circumstances. You know, put yourself in Jairus's shoes for a second here, or his sandals, if you will. Um, okay, you find the guy who you know can heal your daughter, and he's agreeing to come. And there's a delay. I mean, there are, you know, all the people are around and pressing around him. It's already hard enough to get to where he wants to go. But then Jesus has to stop and help this woman. I mean, he just, I mean he's, that's what I'd be saying. Listen, okay, I'm sure she's great, but it's my daughter we're talking about. 
right? I mean, just human. So I, we don't know what he thought, but I'm just thinking that's what I would have been thinking. Hurry up, Jesus. And so, but, but what's happening here is that in this delay, of course, God does receive a greater glory. Okay? And we need to realize that our delays and our disappointments don't mean that God is not working. Okay? And don't we even sing a song around here that says, you know, even though I don't see it, He's working? Right? Now, granted, we need to trust God's timing and that His decision to answer our prayer or not um, the way we want it, ultimately for our God is, is for His glory. And I think that's the most difficult thing when, when the answer to prayer doesn't go the way we want it to go. When He doesn't do the healing, when He doesn't do what we want, that we, we, we know that everything is for God's glory somehow. Though we, it may not compute up here. May not compute up here now. Now, sometimes you know we do know what some of these delays are. In this case, uh, you know, this woman was healed because of the delay. So praise God. And by the way, I I think now this is this is me. Okay, I, I think implied in the text that she was actually saved, not just physically. He calls her daughter. Now that could be just because she was a Jewish girl. I don't know. But I, he says, go in peace. And I think that day, and this is me, I think that that day, not only did she have peace because of the bleeding had stopped and she could rejoin society, but she had peace with God. That faith in Jesus went beyond just a healing. It was a total trust and faith and salvation. I think salvation came to her house that day. And doesn't the Bible tells us tell us that God is delaying for people to come to know Christ? Second Peter three eight nine. But do not forget this one thing. This is this is this is good, man. Because he's saying, see, I can do that. Because Linda knows, like you know, I can't handle a multitask list. My wife, and and and, and so when it comes down to it, and, and I remember one of our kids was this way too. We, we remember like one thing on the list because like just give me one thing. And this is something that Peter is saying, don't forget this one thing. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. You know, He's coming back for sure. And, you know... To him, a thousand years is a blip. But it says, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. But he desires everyone to come to repentance. He's waiting, you know. So any delays that are happening in his coming back, uh, of course, it's not a delay for God. It's all in His perfect timing. But from a human standpoint, it's a delay. 
is, and so we know that Christ hasn't come back yet is because he's waiting for as many who will to put their faith in him and be saved. But have you ever thought that your problem, your thing that you're begging God for is somehow intertwined with someone coming to faith? Um, uh, Years ago, um, there was an article written by another pastor, I think it's John Piper, he wrote this thing, he says, don't waste your cancer, don't waste this, and don't waste that. The, the, the thing was, like God's doing something in your life, and certainly, you know, pray for healing. He can heal, he can heal. But, but, but think that God is working even through that ailment for his glory. And it might be to save some people. It might be. And that's that's a kind of a radical thought. I mean, I think I think it's you know since since I know that God and the Scripture tells us that it's it's all for His glory and all things are for Him, that even even disease could somehow turn out for good. It's hard for us. I, it's hard for us to feel that way, especially if it's happening to us or someone we love. But don't forget that one thing. Christ has not come back yet. And some of these delays that are happening are for evangelistic reasons. Okay? Now, and I've already mentioned this one. I'll just kind of glance on it. But, you know, we, we need to trust that, uh, that um, if God is, if things aren't going the way that we want them to and what our prayer is and our, we're begging Jesus to do this and to heal this and to do whatever we want him to do, that, um, again, it's always about bringing God a greater glory. Um, 1 Peter 4.11 talks about uh, some of the gifts in the church and using spiritual gifts, but there's something in there that I, I find interesting. It says, 1 Peter 4.11, uh, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, so that we're in the middle of Hey, if you're basically, let me give you the, the cliff notes. He's saying, use your gift to the glory of God. Whatever it is that gift is. If it's speaking, if you have a speaking gift, use it, um, uh, as he says, as one who speaks the oracles of God. If it's serving, one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Here's the purpose. Here's the goal. In order that in everything, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And I think this is applicable not just for the spiritual gifts and the purpose we're trying to, we need to be using those as for His glory, but everything, everything is that God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. So we have to keep that in mind. I mean, the, the delay that happened with Jairus, right? We could say he had a greater glory because she actually was brought back from the dead, not just healed from sickness. Because we don't, we're not always able to identify how something brings God glory. Okay, that's the difficult part. But, but as Christians, we need to put our faith lock, stock, and barrel that everything is for His glory. We have to hang on to that.
Now this, I'll end with this verse and then we'll pray. And you all know it, probably, uh, if you grew up in church or been around church for a while. But it just bears repeating. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that the firstborn among many brothers, there might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so just that Romans 8.28 verse for believers, we know um, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to verse. And in these situations, in these miracles we read, these people were healed. Uh, they were brought back from the dead. And he can do that. He can totally do that. What happened? Let's go ahead and pray, okay? <clears throat> Lord, we just um, want to thank you for the compassion of Jesus. Thank you that um, does it matter where we've come from, what our status is socially, economically, anything, that um, Jesus is listening for the cry of faith. So, Lord, we just pray that uh, any of us here that are just in desperate need for Jesus to act, Lord, I just pray that um, we would cry out to Jesus in faith, knowing that um, he will accomplish what glorifies God. And if it's answering the prayer the way we want, then praise the Lord. If it's not, praise the Lord. God, help us to make sure that our faith is in you and uh, is, that our faith is not in faith itself. Uh, and Father, also just um, thank you that you're sovereign over everything that goes on, that nothing slips by you, and that um, you are, you're in control. And so, Lord, we, we trust you with our lives. We trust you with what's going on in our lives. Lord, let us not forget that you are in the business of doing the impossible. And that when we pray to you, Lord, we're praying to the God who is able, that nothing is too difficult for you. And Lord, we just thank you for these two miracles we read about, Lord, that just show the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus over disease, over death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.